Hey everybody, welcome to the Musea Podcast. This is episode number 41 and I am Michael Howard, the founder and CEO of Musea. And for this podcast, I had the chance to talk with documentary wedding photographer Ben Chrisman. Uh, but real quick before we get to our interview with him, uh, I just wanted to uh, touch on something that I um, blogged about last week, uh, which is the fact that the Musea store is not going to be uh, able to offer direct print fulfillment. I know I've been talking about this for a couple months, and um, I know some of you are disappointed um, and that we're not going to be able to do that, and I totally understand. And so I just wanted to kind of reiterate uh, why we're not going to be doing that right now. Um, first is just the cost. Uh, I had um, a budget in mind for what it's going to cost, but after we really digged into it and really looked at uh, how complicated it's going to be uh, based on how that we wanted to build the system, and so the features that we wanted to put into it, uh, it's just going to be way too much. Uh, and, and the quote actually came back being twice as much as what uh, I thought it was going to be. And so we just don't have the money or the budget to do that. Um, also, just realizing after um, after I learned that we we're not going to be able to do it, I learned that or I just sat and reflected. And for me, I just learned that the reason that I was excited about connecting to the um, a lab in the first place was just more out of social pressure because um, I thought, hey, if we get this new feature, that we're going to get more photographers on board, and then that is going to equal more money. Um, and so for me, it's just kind of like a greedy thing, uh, which is, you know, for me, I don't like businesses that are ran based on, uh, on like a greed focus. Uh, and so that's something that I um, was getting trapped in. And so I, I apologize for that. Um, looking back on... Um, you know, reflecting on decisions I need to make of like, you know, why should we add this feature versus another feature? Um, it's something I need to be, um, you know, more focused about. And I need to really ask myself, well, do I believe in this feature? Does this fit in my vision for Musea um, and where the company's headed? And auto print fulfillment, I feel like has a place um, in the future of Musea, but I feel like it's later down the road uh, because I feel like we need to have um, more cloud editing capabilities that are tied into it. Um, one thing, obviously, that I firmly believe in is just um, a, a real craft of photography, um, a, a more of a focus on uh, the print and the product and producing a quality, uh, you know, physical, tangible print. Um, and auto print fulfillment is great, uh, but I just don't... I think it encourages shortcuts, um, to be honest. And so uh, I just don't want to build anything in Musea that's going to um, encourage people to possibly uh, deliver uh, a lesser product out there. So I would rather focus on other things with Musea right now. Uh, for me, I'd rather focus on um, features that will uh, just make people more money. So I know time is money. Um, and, uh, you know, Musea is still a smaller company, and so we just cannot – we don't have the budget to build a system that makes everybody happy. And so we have to figure out who our target market is um, and build a system that works uh, for those people. So we can't reach all the photographers in the world right now. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on photographers that uh, like self-fulfillment, that like uh, doing things themselves with and uh, gives them more control and just really loves the craft of photography. And so that's who we're going to go after. We're not necessarily going to target really like high-volume studios. Um, and that's okay. And so if you're a studio that's like crazy busy and you're just shooting like tons of weddings a year, um, and you know, auto fulfillment is something that you really, really need, then the museum store is, um, not going to be a fit for you right now, which I completely understand. Um, 
but hopefully after you know several years pass and we uh, hopefully can add our fulfillment that uh, you'll look at us again um, and consider us uh, at that time. And so I feel like we'll have a, a more efficient system for you um, and one that's um, really pushes auto fulfillment uh, to another level. And so right now we just can't deliver that product. And so we don't want to invest in something that we can't uh, deliver or take to a new level. We would just be kind of copying what a lot of other companies are doing and I don't want to do that. And so um, instead we're going to focus on a new feature that no other proofing system has and that is within our budget and hopefully it will uh, help uh, people increase their online sales. And so that's what we're going to focus on now. Um, And, uh, you know, for us, it's about making um, there's there's a there's a fine line between um, building systems that are as efficient because time equals money, uh, but also you don't want to build something that's so efficient that it sacrifices uh, quality. And so, uh, so for us, we're going to um, look at reducing, looking at making the system more efficient um, outside of the print f- print fulfillment. So, what are the things that we can do to make the system quicker and faster to use to save you time that way? Um, versus just cutting down um, time f- when you're uh, fulfilling your orders. So those are just my thoughts on that. Um, and uh, I'm not saying we're never going to have print fulfillment, but I think we will uh, at some time. So uh, so I thank you for, you know, everybody that has, uh, you know, read my blog post about that um, and just shared your thoughts and, and comments with me on, on that, uh, whether it's one way or the other. So I really, uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. So I, tr- I try to be open Um and have uh, just an open dialogue about Musea and where it's headed. And so I like, um, you know, when you talk back to me. And so I, um, I appreciate your, your feedback um, on, on things that we're doing and, and where we're headed as a company. So uh, unfortunately, I can't always um, add everything that everybody wants when everybody wants it. But um, some things we will add. And so, uh, so I just hope that as we grow, everybody, uh, you'll just be patient with me and uh, with our progress so we just want to make sure we do things right the first time and not get uh, too far in over our heads uh, with features so um, also coming up uh, we've got the Musea Gathering in New York obviously and in Seattle so get your tickets there museagathering.com if you do want to use uh, our online proofing system and you love the idea of self-fulfillment then check us out at mymusea.com you can sign up there and it's free to use and it's only um, it's a 16 cent 16% commission and 2% of that goes to water.org. So on to our podcast with Ben Chrisman. Um, this guy's uh, an awesome guy. Uh, we talk a lot about his approach to documentary wedding photography. Um, we talk about the layers in his work and the humor that is in his work. Um, we talk about what it's like having um, a roster of associate shooters. Um, and we also, uh, he gives us his advice um, for up-and-coming photographers uh, in the industry. So I think you really love this podcast. Uh, I had a great time talking to Ben, um, and uh, you'll get a lot out of it, I believe. So anyway, thank you so much uh, for listening as always, and I uh, hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks.
Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, well, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, is just to get some background history on you, just how you got started in photography and uh, how you ended up running in a, a studio with all these associate shooters and such. Okay. Um, well, I started shooting um, when I was a, a pretty little kid, um, but not seriously, of course, just like anyone with their mom's camera. Um, I started getting more serious about it in high school, and uh, like a lot of us, we were high school yearbook photographers and such. And then in college, I majored in photojournalism, and that was when I kind of developed a love for um, documentary photography. And um, from there, I went straight into newspapers um, right away. I worked in newspapers until I was 27, so about five years. And then at 27, um, I left the newspaper world and um, went, kind of thought I was going to become a war photographer and was preparing to <laughs> do that type of thing. And um, um, and I was going to go to Iraq, but then the tsunami happened in Asia, so I ended up going to the tsunami and spent a couple months photographing that. And um, and I took a workshop from uh, some photographers uh, from the Seven Photo Agency, uh, James Nakway, Anthony Crossville, and Gary Knight. And that really changed a lot about the way I shoot and the way I think. And um, so after the two months in Asia, I came home and uh, didn't really make any money. I sold a few photos to the LA Times, but that was it. And I realized that I needed to have an income. And so I started shooting weddings thinking that I would shoot weddings about half the year and the other half would be just uh, doing documentary projects around the world. But the weddings kind of took over my life, and that was in summer of 2005. And I haven't really quit doing weddings, you know, full-time since then. Like, um, it's just, I didn't have any idea how much time and effort this profession would needs and requires um, to do it well. I thought I could just do half and half and get it done, but it really takes, you know, um, completely concentrated effort to make a run a business and continue to try to shoot well. And um, so that's what we've been doing for the last, um, well, since 2005, last seven years, it's just going full force with weddings. Hmm. So where did, where did you go to school at? For I went I went to school where in New Mexico, where I'm from. Uh, I went to New Mexico State University. It was a really small journalism program, um, kind of pitiful, but I had a really good professor. His name was Sterling Trantham, and um, he didn't even he didn't teach as much, but he taught us documentary photography, which was the best thing in the world. Like he never even showed us a flash. <laughs> in all the years I went to college, I never saw a flash. It was just pure available light documentary photography. And that was really kind of where my foundation started and um, and what still guides everything I do now. Even though I shoot weddings, it still feels like documentary photography completely. Yeah. So what is, I mean, what is it about the <clears throat> documentary approach that you like so much? Well, I don't like faking things, one. Um, I don't like having to come up with my own ideas like a commercial photographer or, um, uh, fashion photographer because something like that it's that's just not the way I work I'm much more interested in what's going on in front of me than what's in my own head so documentary photography kind of fits that mold for me because I can just go into some place and I don't I can get 
past what's going on inside of me and just focus on what's in front of me. And to me, that's much more interesting because I know what goes on in my head. It's not that cool. I'm much more interested in other people and what's going on with them than I am with myself. Yeah. It's kind of drastic that you were uh, considering being a war photographer and then you ended up in weddings. It seems like complete opposites <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's still documentary photography. That's yeah. the, that's the the um, core. So it, it does. It is it is kind of a big stretch, but um, um, but it's not. But it seems so much similar to me than if I'd gone into fashion or if I'd gone into food photography. That would really be different for me. Weddings or war. It's still documentary photography. So in the end, it it didn't really matter what what I was shooting as long as I was shooting people. And and I'm glad I didn't become a war photographer because I wouldn't be alive right now because I know my personality and I probably would have jumped in front of something that I shouldn't have. Um, so I'm completely happy that I'm not a, a war photographer. And I didn't I did I realized I didn't want that lifestyle where I would you know constantly you know be on the on the road and away from people and I love my wife and I wouldn't want to ever I would never want to change the way that it worked out. Yeah. I'm I don't have any regrets at all. Yeah, I'm interested in um, hearing a little bit more about the the Seven Workshop, just because I know that, I mean, that's one of the best agencies in the world right now. Um, how did how did that really affect you? Like, what was it that they taught that was kind of life changing for you? Um, they really taught me how to be a good storyteller, because um, when I worked for the newspapers, it was just you know you go out that day you get one or two photos maybe for that assignment and then i've got four or five other assignments that day that i've got to drive to really quickly to photograph within 30 minutes and then leave so well the newspapers taught me a whole lot and I, and um and that's a whole other conversation but like i didn't i wasn't learning how to be a storyteller like from start to finish and when i went to the workshop um in Cambodia with um with with the seven guys. They really taught me the effort that it requires to get it from a, to be a storyteller from from the very first photo to the very last photo. And that's kind of what I was missing. And I went in thinking that I was good and then they said, "Okay, you're not that really that good at, after all." And it was very eye-opening for me. And at one point, they even told me, if you can't do this story well, then you should stop being a photographer. Oh. And it was really hard for me to hear because um, these were my idols telling me that I really needed to think about the dedication that I was giving it. Um, so it basically, it was a, like, like on and off switch. Like one day I was one photographer, and the very next day I was a completely different one. And, um, and in this specific story, I was photographing monks um, in anger, in anger, Wat, which is, you know, very kind of a touristy story for Cambodia. And I went to them and I was like, I want to change my story to something that's more interesting. Like the other students were doing like sn kids sniffing glue and, and, um, homelessness and something like, like a real interesting story. And I was doing these slight fluffy monk story. And they basically said, if you can't do a good story on monks, then you really can't do a good story on anything. So you have to do a good story on monks. So that's when I started waking up at three in the morning for several days and beating the monks away from waking up. And before they woke up, I was, I was sitting at their doorstep at three in the morning waiting for them. And I would shoot till three in the morning till they went to bed at, you know, 10 at night. And that's what, and it kind of, it kind of broke me. 
And I think that's what good workshops can do is, is, is break you from your ha- old habits and, and, um, and teach you where you need to go. So after that point, I came home. Well, after, right after the workshop, I went to Sri Lanka. Uh, or in, in, I went to Indonesia, Bandacha, Indonesia, where the the main wave hit, and I spent several. I spent four weeks documenting the people picking up the dead bodies. So basically, for several weeks, I was basically surrounded by dead bodies hmm. all day long. And um, but you can definitely tell a distinct difference between my photography after that workshop and before that workshop. Um, and so when I came home, I just applied all those things to wedding photography. And, um, that was in 2005 and you know, it's the, the wedding industry is a lot different now and it's a lot better now. And back then it was much easier to apply those things and, and stand out. When I did that in Santa Fe, it was, um, um, that really helped me get business, um, right away because the, the photos weren't they were more documentary in nature instead of wedding ish in nature mm. and so it's just everything i've done it's just been kind of an extension off that off that one week in cambodia yeah um <clears throat> looking at your work obviously and i mean i think hearing your story i can see kind of where you you get some of this but obviously like your attention to composition is like incredibly strong um, so I, I would love to know kind of like your approach to composition, um, and kind of what you're looking for. Cause you seem to really create a lot of dynamic angles and, um, you find maybe unexpected or you, you make a scene more interesting than what it is just by how you frame certain things. Um, well, I guess composition wise, I'm definitely trying to um, follow the rules of James Knockway who I think is like the best photographer I've ever known or seen in regards to composition. Like that guy thinks on two levels and two planes, like nobody's business. I mean, that's, and that's with the workshop. That's really one of the things that he was able to help me with. Like I, I learned more in like 15 minutes of him critiquing my photos than I learned in four years at the newspaper because he was able to see what I was wanting to do, which was basically shoot like him and narrow that focus down to where like, okay, you need to get lower here. You need to use a 50 here. Um, and he really helped me see things on, on two planes, the, the foreground and the background and how to combine those things in a pleasing way. And that's really hard to do because it's hard enough to pay attention to what's in front of you, like what's going on that you're focusing on, but it's, it's very difficult to look at the background and combine those two things effortless, effortlessly. Um, so that's always the goal with composition is, you know, you always want to fill the frame with something interesting. And um, um, and to do that in a way that's not, you know, you know, you don't want things coming out of people's heads and you don't want things in your composition that, that don't belong there. Um, another thing that really influenced my composition was limiting myself with lenses. Um, when I went over to Asia to photograph the tsunami, I had a 1635. And so I'd rack that thing all the way up and down. Um, and things were, it was, it was too wide and it was too, too boring. It was too obvious. Um, I was showing too much. And so um, I remember it was just one moment. Um, I was, uh, I was in a, I was photographing a refugee camp in, in Sri Lanka. And I was photographing this 
his mother like pouring water on her son to give him a bath. And I remember thinking like, this is a really amazing scene. Like, and my picture is boring as hell. Why is this not working? And it's because I had the lens of like, you know, 20 or 24 or something like that. So I went back to the tent, had a piece of tape, and I taped that 1635 to 35 millimeters. And that forced me to get closer. It forced me to rethink compositions. And just that one decision really um, changed, changed the way I shoot because when you only shoot two lenses like I do now, 35, 85 for 95% of my work, I literally can't get into position positions that other photographers can with a zoom or a wider lens or a longer lens. So it makes me think about composition a lot more. And when you give me like too many choices, like a zoom lens with a 24-70 or 24-105 or whatever it is, that gives me too many choices and I screw it up because I think too much. I do much better when I think less and just react more. And so limiting myself has made such a big difference. And um, so a lot of the compositions that started from Santa Fe in 2005, 2006 are only because I had no choice but to take that picture because I couldn't get into another shooting position. So instead of going tight on a subject, I gave a lot of negative space because I had no other option. And that's kind of, that kind of has evolved over the years. Mm, yeah i um i used to shoot like a lot of zooms and stuff and like this past year i went more to like primes and so i totally understand what you're talking about and i'm when i i got, I got a 35 this year and i was like why did i not buy this thing like 10 years ago so yeah it's awesome isn't it yeah um the uh but yeah i i agree that like limitations like the more you kind of limit yourself even uh it even fosters your creativity more as well sure absolutely uh, so 3585 is a good uh, good combo i like that one yeah <laughs> and we have a 28 that i use sometimes and i have a you know 60 macro and we have a 80 to 200 that i use for like group shots and things like that so there is always exception to that rule but if i you know if you put a gun to my head and said pick one lens it was always it would always be a 35 and if I shot documentary photography, not weddings, I would only shoot a 35 and 50. The only reason I have an 85 is because I need to make things look pretty for weddings, and an 85 does that. But yeah, yeah, for portraits and stuff. Right, yeah. But if it's just me, like travel photography, I just take one camera and it has a 35 on it. Yeah. Um, how did you? I mean, you know, the composition thing is is learning that is one thing. That's that's just a huge like mountain to climb in and of itself. But, um, but you also, one thing just looking at your work that I really love is how you see light and how you use light. Because I look at so many like wedding photographers out there now and, and for good or bad, they, they, a lot of them, they just, you have like one consistent type of light. Um, I mean like 80% of the shooters out there now just backlight everything. Um, right. but it's just all it's all the same, you know? And so, yeah. but you really push through, you're not afraid to shoot really harsh direct light, you know, silhouette stuff constantly, things like that. How did you learn to really see light and experiment with it? Um, well, I mean, I think a good photo starts with good light to begin with. If you don't have that, then, then it's, it's, re it's really going to be hard for that photo to be great. So 
I take a lot of photos in bad light. You just don't ever see them because I don't put them on the website. Um, it, you know, if it doesn't have good light, then it doesn't really belong in a portfolio um, unless it's an amazing moment or something. Um, you know, super important moment. So, but when I, when I started shooting weddings, I really looked at the photographers that I admired, you know, in Magnum and Seven, and I thought about, like, okay, what do I like about this picture? And they had these reoccurring themes of, like, silhouettes and reflections and shadows. And, and, um, and so I started just applying those to wedding photography. But all of them have good light. So if it doesn't have good light, then it's just... It it just doesn't work. Um, so when we shoot, we're looking for light first, and then we're and then so we look for good light, and then we try to find the composition, and then we wait for the moment. Um, and that's generally the process for most of our photos. Um, so so, but to find the light, you kind of need to look for the extremes of light, and most photographers are so um, willing to just settle for the the neutral light. And that's what you want to avoid because it's boring, right? Everyone shoots in the safe light. So you have to look for the, the darkest point in the room and the lightest point in the room and, and work with that. And if you can – because the way the, your, your eye sees and the way your camera sees are totally different. So you have to reprogram your head to not think like a – not see like a human, but to see like a mechanical camera. And once you do that, then – the brightest part of the room and the darkest part of the room are going to be exactly it, that's what you're that's what you're going to see first instead of the safe neutral zone in between and that so that's always what we're playing with the the we we want to go where the normal photographer isn't instinctively going to that makes sense yeah no for sure so you and your wife shoot together, correct? Always. Always. How long have you guys been shooting together? Uh, we've been, Aaron and I have been shooting together over four years now. Okay. So what, I mean, what is her background? Did she, did you teach her everything she knows or did? Erin uh, was a photographer <laughs> before I met her. Um, she was a photographer with LaCour. Oh, cool. It's a really great photo studio in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met her and um, she eventually moved out to San Francisco and we've been shooting together ever since. But Erin um, was a very accomplished photographer ever before I met her. Um, and so um, so it's worked out perfectly because, um, like, when we shoot, it's like two main shooters. So there's not a second shooter with us. It's um, So all day long, Erin and I go back and forth between, you know, okay, bet- between acting like more like a main and second. Um, but in our world, it's more like you get the safe shot or you get the arty shot. So constantly – like we're saying, I know. I, like if I just look at her lens, I know what she's shooting. If she's shooting in 35, I'm going to shoot 85, and vice versa. So always going back and forth. Um, so it works really well because our, always our goal is to shoot these kind of um, really artistic, weird photos, but also get the safe photo that Grandma's going to like. And so it makes it really easy for us to to kind of balance our coverage like that. So. Um, so it's really cool. I love shooting with her. I can't imagine. I couldn't ever imagine not shooting with her because we're so like just in sync at this point. Um, we don't even have to like look or really say anything. We all, always know exactly what the other person is doing and what we need to do. Yeah. What are uh, I'm always interested, especially with like <clears throat> teams. You know, if yeah. uh, 
if you have feel like you guys have different strengths to kind of balance each other out, or if you feel like you're kind of strong in the same areas? Um, um, I think we're pretty balanced. Um, and if you look at a, a gallery, it's almost a 50-50 split mm-hmm. down down the middle um, with um, with number of photos. Um, and it's only because Aaron and I take turns with doing everything. Like, like depending on the wedding, I'll shoot the groom or she'll shoot the groom, or we're always going back and forth. There's no one person that does everything. Um, we both do everything. Um, so it's really, you know, forced us to get better um, at doing everything as as well as possible, as good as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, being so like busy as you are, um, and all the responsibilities I know that you probably have like hanging over your head. I mean, how do you s- kind of avoid like the burnout and stay inspired? Um, well, I don't really get burnout with shooting because I love shooting. The business part is definitely the hard part. Um, because in addition to our three shooters, we also have two videographers mm. that work with us. And um, so the business aspect is something that I never imagined. You know, I, I had no idea how invasive that would be. So, I mean, basically Aaron and I work, you know, seven days a week all year long. We don't really have an off time. We don't have an off season because even when we're maybe not shooting every single weekend, we're still working every single day. Um, as far as, you know, I think Aaron and I battle burnout you know, maybe, okay, because we're not shooting in the same place every weekend. Like, um, Aaron and I, our kind of alone time is actually when we go work because, like, on Friday or Thursday, we get on an airplane and, and we'll go to some place, and it might not be exotic. It might just be some normal town. But, I mean, that's when Aaron and I have, you know, time alone, and um, it's, like, fun for us. It's like a little mini vacation even though we're working. So we really like going to weddings and because um, we meet really interesting people and we go to places that we've never been before. And then when we come home, it's kind of like a zoo, and everyone's here, and it's like kind of like a newsroom. Um, it's very busy all the time, and we're always because you know we have like a hundred weddings that we're working on, you know, a year with all the associates and everything. So um, that's that's crazy. That's the crazy the craziest time is when we're home, and then when we leave to shoot the wedding, that's kind of the calm time that we get to ourselves. And and so we're not burnt. We don't ever get burnt out. We get stressed out, but we don't get burnt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when. I don't know. I mean, there's some studios that are, um, you know, they probably consider uh, bringing on associates and doing all that kind of uh, expanding the business, I guess. Uh, When did you know that was the right decision for you guys to do that? Well, I I never had any intention on on, on, on having anything. Sorry, my own computer decided to start talking to me. Um, (laughs) Um, Aaron and I never decided that, like, we were like, okay, we want to have a bigger company. It was just going to be us. But then we, we just put an ad out for interns or, or a, one intern. And, um, and this girl, I think she was 18 at the time, um, saw the ad and told her boyfriend that, um, that we were looking for an intern. And 
secretly, it was because she wanted us to shoot her wedding, and she just wanted Aaron to, uh, you know, just talk to us or something. We, it was just this serendipitous thing. And so we interviewed Aaron Morris, and we just instantly loved him. And um, so we knew we wanted him, but then we also met another um, guy named Mauricio Arias, he, who had recently immigrated from Nicaragua, and he was staying with his aunt, and we knew his aunt because she was a makeup artist. And we went, when we met Mauricio, like three days later, we instantly loved him too. So we decided we'll take both of them. And, um, and so they spent a year working on post-production with us and kind of learning how to shoot. Um, Mauricio had never even taken a picture before coming and starting with us. So I gave him an old 5D and said, just photograph everything in your life. And so he would like to take the BART into San Francisco to our house. And so he would photograph everything on the BART, and he kind of learned this kind of fearless kind of attitude of being able to photograph any, anyone because he had to because he was, you know, on public transportation. <laughs> and so but in the Aaron Morris had already been shooting motocross for a while, so he already knew how to work a camera. So in that year, they kind of went to a few weddings with us. Um, they spent a year doing post-production, so they, I think they really got to see, you know, gallery after gallery after gallery, and they, they got an idea of what was expected when to shoot, you know, when they, when they would shoot their own wedding. So after that year, we started giving them some work or giving them some weddings, and then they just completely took off. And um, about the same time, our friend Dave Getzman who I've known Dave for a long time. We were both photographers in New Mexico. Um, I didn't know him in New Mexico, but I knew of him. And so when I moved to San Francisco, we became like great friends. And he was doing more editorial work, like with the LA Times and newspapers and things like that. And I would beg him to come to weddings with me, and he'd tell me he didn't want to. And eventually I would get him to come to a few. And, you know, over time he found out that he actually liked doing it. And so this was in 2000. Nine, I think, something like that. So that is, so that's kind of how it happened. I drugged Dave, dug Dave into it, kicking and screaming, and then Aaron and Mauricio started as our interns and then started shooting on their own. And so it was never a conscious decision of like we need associates. It was like these three guys are like family to us, and so let's all work together. Yeah. And so we kind of approach it kind of like we do at, at did a newspaper. We all kind of it's like a newsroom. It's not like a you know a boss and at all. It's we're we're five friends and we get along really well, and um, and we do the best to work with each other and and make sure every wedding is is good. Um, it's very much a collaborative effort. Like uh, we send each other the photos to critique. We help each other with the slideshows. We we really kind of work together as a team more than as individual people. Yeah. It's it's a rare, it's a rare situation. I I wouldn't <laughs> I can never set out to repeat what we have here. Yeah. Um and I wouldn't like necessarily recommend working with your three best friends uh, because it, it you know it's definitely you know crazy at times. Um but also works really well in in other times. Um I wouldn't change it for sure. But it it's definitely not a business model that would work for everybody. Um, it, it works for us and I'm really happy for it, but, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's maybe not the best, um, business wise, um, business model, but what it does for us is it, 
really increases our client base a lot. Um, we don't necessarily make a ton of money off our associates, but instead of just having the referrals from mine and Aaron's wedding, we have the referrals from three other people, which is fantastic. Yeah. And so our business is kind of set up for the long run. Um, because I, you know, I see so many photographers that go out of business and it, it really, you know, it's awful. And I hate seeing that and I don't want to be one of those photographers. So the idea is to get as many, as big, as big a referral base as possible with us and our associates. So we're here for the next 25 years and not the next two years. Yeah. Um, how did, so does, do you guys, do you do like your own editing each or do you have like somebody on staff that helps do that or how's that work? Um, well, let's see with the associates, they mostly do all their own post. Um, with mine and Aaron's, we have, we have like three people that help us with post. Um, uh, we have someone here at the office. We have two production guys in DC. So Aaron and I spend more of our time running the business than we actually do like Lightrooming photos. We do edit our own photos or call, um, but once the photos are picked, then I send them off. And when I get them back, I kind of put my final touches on them before they go to the clients, but the majority of the work, um, we have some really good people doing. One of the things I like about your work <clears throat> also, um, it's not in all your images, but there are certain ones, and, and maybe – I'm assuming, I don't know, some of it, because it is hard to tell sometimes which ones are yours and which ones are Aaron's, but um, there's... Uh, sometimes I can't tell myself. <laughs> there's some, there's, uh, I don't know, there's some humor in some mm -hmm. of these where it, even like a contrast of like you will, uh, you know, it's kind of this romantic ideal scenario, but then you also include in the frame like this you know, somebody that's like outside the wedding or something that has like this kind of unflattering kind of reality of what the real world is, you know, mm -hmm. and how they kind of collide. Um, I, I like, I like that just because it, for me, I see so many wedding photos anymore or just photographers right. in general that just take the whole, even clients, they just take the whole day almost too serious. And mm -hmm. so the fact that you can find those moments that uh, where it seems more lighthearted, uh, it's kind of like a refreshing break for me. Um, yeah, cool. Well, thanks. Um, you know, I think it is. I, I think the big thing is to, as a shooter, to not get stuck in this idea of what wedding photography should be. Like it, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it doesn't have to be what you see on Style Me Pretty. It can be unique to what that wedding is. And if some, you know, dude in a Speedo walks by on the beach as they're getting married, then you shoot that. And it doesn't have to fit into this, you know, perfect, ideal, you know, wedding day. Um, you know, when I got into wedding photography, the, my one main goal was to do everything the exact opposite of most wedding photographers. And I remember telling myself that in 2005, and I was like, just whatever they do, do the opposite. And so that has kind of influenced everything I've done. And so when we show like maybe these, you know, off kilter moments or like, you know, some risque stuff or whatever we show, it's because it really happened. And I'm, we're not afraid to show that because those are the type of people that we want to work for. The, the type of person that sees that photo and go, Oh, that's awesome. Or that's quirky or, you know, um, that's what I would love at my wedding. I would much rather have those people as my clients than someone that says, Oh, I want a picture perfect wedding and I want to be a princess. 
right? Um, mm-hmm. We want the bride who will get totally wasted and run around <laughs> with her bare feet. You know, that's, that's, that's who we want to work for. So that's what we show. Um, and um, so that's kind of just dominoed into these weddings that have those have those things. You know, it was again, it wasn't a conscious decision other than we want something that's not normal. And, um, and again, that's not for everybody. I totally get that, but it's it's what has worked for us so far. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, uh, looking at your reception, a lot of your reception shots. I was like, oh my gosh, hey, like he shoots like the craziest <laughs> receptions. And you get like the craziest pictures. Uh, you, know, uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot. Of, I think that happens at a lot of weddings. I just think a lot of wedding, wedding photographers go home to soon, um, because <laughs> you know most of the great reception photos are at the last thirty minutes or at the after party. Um, so we go to that stuff a lot because, I mean, a lot of like if we shoot in San Francisco, right, like home base, we generally don't stay that late. You know, if the wedding's over at midnight, we'll come home at midnight. But if we are flying to wherever, you know, we are definitely more inclined to photograph everything, including the after party. Like the wedding we shot in Spain um, this year, the wedding was technically over at 12. But we went out partying with them until 5 in the morning at an after club in, in, um, in Spain. And that's where all the reception photos are. We didn't show any actual real reception photos from the wedding besides like maybe the first dance. All those photos came from the after party, um, and that's where all the craziness is, and that's what we love. We, that's what we love shooting. Yeah, I mean, our, our our photos are definitely a pretty close representation of our personalities. Like Aaron and I are, you know, we love a good party, and we 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 like that kind of craziness. And so when we're around that, we feel very at home. So like, if a bride's like jumping into the pool or getting into the hot tub. You know, at the end of the night in our wedding dress, we're in the hot tub too. Like, we're very much involved. And, um, you know, when I'm 50, you know, I don't know if I can get, I'll be able to get away with this stuff. <laughs> um, but I'm still, like, you know, close enough to the bride and groom's age that I can still relate. Um, because we, we don't get a lot of, like, early 20s brides and grooms. Most of our brides are late 20s or early 30s or mid 30s. So I'm still in that ballpark. Um, you know, Ask me in 15 years whether I can still pull this off. I'll tell you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just keep working out and uh, stay in shape. <laughs> I don't work out at all. I don't uh, have time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start working out, and then uh, that way right. when you're 50, you're still, you know, you'll be ripped and you'll be fine. So you'll be the creepy <laughs> old guy getting in a hot tub. Right. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, there. <sighs> Kind of like looking at your work again. Like obviously, there's a lot of layers to everything for you, um, which is just great to see because you don't, I don't see that very often. Uh, which you know, there's there's obviously like the importance of color is very important in a lot of your work. Uh, you know, light, which we've talked about, um, framing, and and sometimes it's a lot of about the, just the emotions you capture as well, um, and you know, it all kind of combines for kind of this energetic, like there's just a lot of like dynamic energy in a lot of your pictures, whether it's from one of those things or a combination of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, where does that come from? Is that just you guys, that's just your personality naturally that, that comes out? Um, and I mean, Aaron's the same way or how's that work? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, a lot has to do with that's what we're kind of attracted to. It also has to do with editing. 
Um, you know, we, we, I think one of the hardest parts for photographers is editing themselves. So um, it's one thing that newspapers taught me and, um, is how to edit tightly. Um, at the, when I was at the Daily Times in, in New Mexico, I worked with a um, guy named Brett Butterstein, who's my best friend, and, um, and we would just spend hours ripping, our, our, uh, ripping each other, um, critiquing each other's photos. And so we really learned um, how to be, you know, how to not take things personally and how to really weed out the crap and just get to the best photos. So when you see our galleries or our blog posts or whatever, we're just not showing you the boring moments. We're just showing you the interesting moments because no one wants to see, you know, four variations of the bride laughing at a toast. You just show the one good picture. And so... A lot of it has to do with editing. A lot of it has to do with um, the people that end up hiring us. Um, you know, some of it's just luck um, that we, you know, that it, you know, something weird happens at a wedding. Um, but we do, we, we blog every single wedding we shoot. So there's no, like, you know, we don't have any, like, any dud weddings or hidden weddings or, you know, every everything that we shoot goes up on the blog. Um, so we're just really trying to um, define these particular moments that really kind of define a wedding. Um, and they, they, they happen at every single wedding. You just, when they happen, you just can't be scared to be right in the middle of it. Um, and so you can't be timid. Like if some, something, you know, bizarre happens or crazy happens or unique, instead of saying, you know, instead of being timid about it or scared, you have to get right in front of it in dead center. So, so, so you're there to document it, but it's also intimidating because you're like, well, if I get in front of it, it might disappear it might, and they might stop doing it. But if you've done your job in the beginning and you've been involved and you've been directly in front of them and right there with them from the first second that you started, then when those crazy moments happen, it's not going to be weird that you have a camera right in front of them. They're going to be used to you. And so that's, you know, it takes that kind of dedication and just stubbornness to say, I'm going to be right beside the bride and groom from the very first second that I'm with her. And then by the end of the night, you're just one of the guys or yeah. girls. Right. <laughs> um, what's like all the layers that are in your work? Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Like when you're, as you're growing as a photographer, um, mm -hmm. I can see it's as I can see it being very easy to like kind of become over overwhelmed with um, trying to learn like composition, lighting, you know how to use color to your advantage, and all get and get the right, right moment um, all at the same time. So, we're if you, kind of looking back as you've grown, have you kind of like focused mostly on like certain topics at a time, like? Are there, you know, is there, was there like a, a two-year window when you were like really hardcore into composition and then you kind of grew into color and then you kind of grew into, you know, getting that direct moment? Or have you kind of just worked on all of that at the same time over your entire career? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it totally makes sense. I, I, I know the, the last thing I consciously decided to work on was off-camera flash, and that was about three years ago um, after hanging out with Dave and Quinchung. Canada because they were I kind of written off flash and I was sick of it and I know there was a six-month period where I just didn't use flash at all and I feel really bad for those couples that I <laughs> didn't flash their reception 
Um, but I met David Quinn. I was like, oh, man, I really need to figure this out. Um, and I use Flash, you know, but not off-camera Flash to the extent that they were doing, and I still don't. Um, but I, it definitely has been evolution. Like, um, I remember in college, I, I literally couldn't take a headshot that was had a correct exposure. I mean, back then it was film. I mean, like I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I was bad. Like, I, I was – in college, I was – I was not one of the better students. I kind of sucked. It's taken, it took four years or five years of working in newspapers of shooting every single day. And I think that was the big, the big thing is, is, um, is shooting every day for years and years and years. And I, you know, I'm 36 now. So I've been shooting basically every day for, uh, since I was like 20. So that's like 16 years of having a camera in my hands. And that's kind of what it takes. Um, I think the, the, uh, one of the biggest things that hurts wedding photographers is they don't shoot enough. They're shooting maybe one day a week, or maybe they're shooting an engagement session in the other week, so two days. And you really, I think you really need to be have a camera with you all the time to get past that threshold. Um, you know, a, a book that explains that really, you know, better than I can is The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, where he just says you basically need to work for 10,000 hours to get good at anything. Um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, Brett and I did that kind of unknowingly when we were at a newspaper. Um, I'm not saying, you know, we're good at it, but we we certainly spent our time in the trenches, um, you know, working for, you know, just above poverty level, level for, you know, several years and shooting our asses off. Um, and I think that that really is one of the big reasons that, um, that, um, you know, uh, we were able to concentrate on, you know, light, composition, emotion, and put all those things together. I think that's really hard to do on an eight-hour wedding day once a week. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, which, so like, another que- – that topic kind of brings up another question for me, which is – I don't know. Like, I, you know, I'm on, I'm on Facebook and I'm, I'm a part of certain photo groups and stuff, and sometimes – you'll see people kind of frustrated and about where their company is. Um, and, and I don't know, it seems like, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's cause there is like such an influx of like newer shooters today or whatever, but okay. it just seems like the, the, um, you know, if somebody has a business for like a year or two years, um, the patience level isn't there anymore to, okay work through a lot of stuff they they feel right. like it needs to i don't know i guess there's examples of other photographers that have like gone from nothing to like you know shooting all the, the crazy stuff in like two years but it's yeah. it's kind of like a rare thing Definitely. um so i mean what would you say to those people that are like just like ready to throw, quit after like two years because their business isn't like where it wants they want it to be and they're not getting all the bookings they want to get and all that stuff um, this is a, it's a really good question um, because that's, you know, that's what we see so many times is, you know, photographers last about a couple of years and they go out of business and there's always going to be this, this influx of, of these, you know, entry level photographers and they think, oh, it's cool. I'm going to try, I'm going to be a photographer. And then they realize that how much, how much work it takes to do it well and how much money it takes to do it well to run a business. And um, and then they quit and they go back to being a lawyer or whatever the, what they started doing, um, and um, so we see that over and over and over. Um, and so the first thing that I would suggest for these photographers is know how to run a business. 
Um, and be good with money. Keep your, you know, your business account and your personal account separated and make, you know, your bookkeeper and accountant's life easy. And, um, and learn, be a smart business person, just keeping things clean. And then take a lot of workshops, go to conferences, you know, learn from, learn from the best and, and don't learn from people who've been shooting for two or three years. Like go and, and study with these photographers who've been doing this 15 or 20 years and, and learn the basics of, of what being a photographer is about. Um, there's a great book called On Being a Photographer um, by David Hurt. Um, I definitely recommend reading that book. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you see these young shooters and they, they think they're going to be instantly successful in two years. And um, it just doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. You have to spend years and years and years taking a lot of pictures um, before you can ever think that you're going to get it. Um, this is the cool thing, though, about photography is that it's like this lifelong journey. You're, you're not going to, like, peak at, like, 28 like a basketball player. Mm. Um, you know, you're going to be a better photographer at 35 than you are at 25 and 45 than you are at 35. And so that should be encouraging. But it's also remind you that it's not going to happen in two years. You're not going to become a great photographer in two years. It just won't happen. You've got to spend years and years and years taking pictures um, before your brain catches up with your heart and catches up with the, how your hands work with a camera. And um, that just takes time. Um, so, you know, you've got to have some sort of business sense, and then you've got to spend a lot of time behind the camera. And... Um, you know, if you can get past that two or three year mark, then you you got a chance. But um, you got to start small. You know, you got to keep your expenses low. Um, you can't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to be shooting, you know, destination weddings in Jamaica in my second year. Um, you can get lucky, and maybe one or two will happen. But the most part, you've got you know, you've got to do the dirty work. You've got to shoot the crappy weddings. You've got to shoot the, in the crappy churches. You've got to kind of earn your marks before, you know, you're rewarded by the photo gods. You know, you can't just uh, it's not going to just happen. But you know, if you're, you know, my whole life, I've only I just wanted to be a photographer. Like I, I just want to be a real photographer, and I still feel like I'm trying to get to that point. But I think unless you have that desire to just be a pure photographer something's going to get in your way. Um, and you just have to realize you're never going to make much money being a photographer. Like I know a lot of very successful wedding photographers, but none of them make a killing, you know, um, they do like, they do well, you know, but they are not making me money like someone on wall street. It's, it's not a money making profession. It's a profession that you do because you can't do anything else. And, um, and if you, you feel that way, then go after photography if you feel like there's definitely another job that you could do and be happy with doing, you might want to consider doing that and doing photography on the side. Um, because that's certainly a possibility with this job. You know, always shoot a few weddings a year and not make it your life because when you do what, you know, Aaron and I are doing and, you know, Mauricio, Dave and Aaron, there's really, there's really, um, you don't have a life. Like we don't have a life. We work, <laughs> yeah. we work seven days a week and, <laughs> And we only do it because I, we love doing it. Like yeah. yesterday, I we sat in a row. It was me, Mauricio, and Aaron, my wife, and we worked for like ten hours. 
straight working on several different weddings and then like around 10 o'clock we started watching the show homeland and we were talking about you know okay now we can stop working for an hour or two to watch this tv show and i was like man i loved what we did all day like i like sitting at the desk and working with you know my wife and my one of my best friends all day on wedding photography but if you don't actually if you don't love that completely then then you know just take a hard look and, and see if this is what you want to do because it doesn't change. Like wedding, like when I started in 2005, I told my friend Mike Cody, who's kind of been a mentor to me, they said in New York, and I said, well, I'm going to do half weddings and half documentaries. Like, there's no way. There's no way, Ben. You, this will take over your life, and there's way more to it than you realized. And I had no idea what he's talking about, but I do now. Like, however hard, how much, however hard you're working right now you're going to be working even harder in the next couple of years because it just gets bigger and it just becomes more work and it just becomes more things that you have to take care of. So if you're not prepared to handle that running your own business, then, you know, either cut down on the weddings, get another job or go work for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just because you enjoy photography doesn't mean you need to start a business is like one of my yeah, things. Totally. So. Um, yeah, it doesn't get any easier, I yeah. promise. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how the heck do you get these weddings that are, like, in these crazy places like Mongolia and such? <laughs> um, uh, Mongolia was a referral from Davina and Daniel, which is really um, – Davina and Daniel, um, Taylor and Kudish, who are in Canada. Um, they become really good friends of ours, and they gave us a Mongolia wedding, which we're really fortunate for. Um, because we'll probably never go back to Mongolia to shoot a wedding. Um, these other weddings, though, they definitely um, they just come down from mostly word of mouth. Um, like a friend went to the wedding or um, the bride was a bridesmaid or something like that. So, um, you know, we sometimes we'll get um, weddings from random Google searches or just, you know, San Francisco wedding photographer or whatever. But most of it's referrals or word of mouth. Um, and, you know, that really means that we have to do a good job every single wedding. And um, so um, and a lot of our clients are kind of New York-based or California-based, and a lot of them don't get married in those places, so they'll fly somewhere else to get married. And and, um, and then we just kind of tag along with them. Um, but I don't really know how we get those weddings besides the fact that we show – that's what we show on our website. So um, – I don't, we really don't have much San Francisco work. Like we hardly ever work in San Francisco. Um, and I think we maybe have three or four weddings a year, you know, in, in the area. Um, and the rest we have to go somewhere else for. But I think the reason that we continue to get those weddings because we don't show anything local. We just show these other weddings because that's the majority of what we do now. Um, and, um, but once we go to these places, we, we very much feel, um, um, a pressure to show what's unique about this place that they're shooting at. So if we go to Pittsburgh, we really want to show what Pittsburgh's like. Um, and uh, if we go to some place that's, you know, exotic, we want to make sure that we show what these specific locations, um, what's special to them. And so, so when the, so when future brides see that, they're like, oh, okay, you know, hopefully the Christmas will you know, make my wedding feel like my wedding and not like anyone else's wedding. Um, and that's always our goal is to make it, you know, um, 
to give each bride something that um, is completely unique to her and no one else. Um, and so that's always a, it's always, um, you know, mission one when we go to, um, when we shoot any wedding, whether it's San Francisco or anywhere else. The, uh, so with the lighting thing real quick, um, are you, what kind of lights are you taking with you on these trips? Are you just using like just your typical strobes on? Yeah, we just, we just have two, uh, two Nikon strobes. That's it. Yeah. Um, it's super, super basic. Um, and again, it's limiting limiting ourselves um i would love to be able to have the brain like dave chung has who can master these really intricate complicated lighting systems whether it's using three or four flashes in one room or whether it's using a huge light that i don't even can't even say the name of um but i just don't have the brain for it so i i I realize my limitations and i realize the you know that I'm, i'm not that creative or imaginative in the end so I have to keep things really basic, and so um, I know what the thing. The difference is I know what I, I like. Like I have a pretty limited color palette. I know the types of photos that I like, and they're very specific. So I can continually go to that very quickly without overthinking things. Like I don't go into a scene thinking, oh, I want to be Jose Villa today, or I want to be another photographer. I just want to be myself, and so that's very easy for me to pinpoint what I'm going for. Um, and again, it's it's just you know, it's it's really it's a, it's it's this constant thing of figuring out who you are as a photographer, and finding that voice. And when you find that voice, you know, when you find the um, the kind of recipe for taking good photos, it's it's not that hard. You just have to. The hard part is figuring out what you like, and how to get there. Once you figure that out, then you don't have to think about what. It, that anymore it's more about just finding what's finding out what's interesting in front of you and documenting that in a unique way um most photographers you know overthink or they're like what do i want to say and and um you know what style do i want to shoot in right now and if you can get to that point where you don't have to worry about that crap anymore and you just shoot everything's just an extension of of who you are and you don't have to overthink things it becomes just it becomes much more natural yeah that's awesome well ben i really appreciate you taking the time man um i know you're crazy busy dude and all that but uh and i hope uh your business goes well this year yeah i hope so so yeah muse is only a year old and pushing on to 2013 so should be hopefully this year yeah so Cool. Uh, I'm excited, and the um, the podcast have been really, uh, really successful for um, you know, just helping other people, and I think just helping the industry in general. So I think a lot of people cool. will will uh, appreciate your your comments and your thoughts. Well, thanks for interviewing me, and thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate it.